Hello, and welcome to the SAMOP Specialty Spotlight podcast. This podcast was created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military from all branches of service in various specialties. Today, we are fortunate to have Susan Roberts with us. Susan is currently a surgical intern at Naval Medical Center, Portsmouth. This is a very special episode as Susan began this podcast in 2019 while she was education chair of the National SAMA. Susan continued her involvement within AMOPS and is currently the secretary of the National RAMOPS Board, which is the resident branch of the organization. How are you doing today, Susan? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on here. I think it's really cool that you're kind of making full circle, having started the podcast and now being on it. We're really glad to have you back. So to start, where did you go to medical school? What branch are you in? And where are you doing your intern year? So I went to Rocky Vista University in Colorado, and I'm in the Navy, and I'm doing my general surgery intern year at Portsmouth Naval Medical Center in Portsmouth, Virginia. So what made you choose surgery as your specialty? So in medical school, I was kind of between emergency medicine and surgery. I finally decided on surgery during my third year clinical rotations, and there were just a couple things about surgery that I liked more than emergency medicine and more than other rotations in general. I liked that it was procedural for one. I love the OR. I felt like my days in the OR on my clinical rotations went by way faster than any of my clinic rotations, for example. I knew that I wanted to be hospital-based. I liked that surgery had a mix of patient complexity, different case variety, And I really like the anatomy and pathology that's just involved with general surgery. And for me, it felt like a good mix of a lot of different things. Great. So how has your general surgery intern year been thus far? So it's been good. Um, I feel like it's basically what I expected, which is kind of how I felt about medical school as well. People said that it's challenging, but for medical school and for residency, it's what you want to be doing. So even though it's more challenging, it's also more rewarding. And I mean, the hours are long. There's no way around that. I feel like regardless of what specialty you choose to do, intern year is hard. You will most likely be working up to 80 hours a week in most cases. For us, we have different rotations that we do. So we have a decent amount of general surgery rotations, but then we also have some off-service rotations. So we do like emergency medicine and orthopedics and a couple other surgical subspecialties. So those have been nice too, to get more of a feel for different kinds of surgery that's out there. But other than that, it's been really good. I like the people that I work with a lot. I really like all of our attendings that we have at Portsmouth and I really like my intern class. And so I do believe that it's important to go to a place where you like the people that you work with because you do really bond with them a lot and spend a lot more time with them than the people that you live with at home. What's a normal day like during intern year? I'll probably talk more so about our like on-service surgery rotation. So normally we round as a group, like with our chief at six. So that means that before that you'll have seen your patients And I really like the people that I work with because I feel like it's very much so a team sport, kind of just however many patients we have on the list, we just divide evenly amongst the interns that we have. 
Um, and so that's always really helpful. So I kind of just get there however early I need to in order to see all of the patients that I have to before six. And that really just fluctuates on what the list looks like. So I've gotten there anywhere from four to five, usually in the morning to get ready by six. And then we do rounds with our chief, which is either like table rounds or walking rounds. And then at Portsmouth, actually, they changed how the surgery department runs a little bit, not last November, but the November before that. Uh, They kind of changed the team structure. So we have two teams. One team is acute care, surgery, and vascular. And the other team is like our elective team, which includes bariatric, pediatric, general surgery. They also added morning report, which they didn't have before. And so at seven, we do morning report, which is kind of just where they present the overnight cases that either got admitted or that were seen in the ED. Usually after that, you go to the OR, our cases start at 7.30. So if there are any cases going, that's an option or clinic, which also starts at eight. And then our acute care team is kind of their acute care. So they don't normally have scheduled things like clinic as much or OR cases unless they came in the night before. And so that's kind of just like you do the things that you have to do and kind of wait to see what else comes in. So a lot of, it's funny, our medical students, they're always like, oh, I didn't know that you guys did so much behind the scenes stuff. You know, like they help with clinic um, and they come with us to see ED consults. But one time they kind of just watched what we did throughout the day. And we kind of just do a lot of behind the scenes stuff. So like putting orders in, which medical students can't do, but as interns, we can do. So like putting orders in for like imaging or medications, things like that. And we kind of do that like right at the beginning. Also discharging people or admitting people. If we have people that we admit from clinic or that come in from the ED. And then on our acute care team, we go down to the ED or hospital consults and see them and either admit them or just provide recommendations to different teams about them. For us, usually the day ends at six. Our shifts run from six to six. And then we do sign out at night. And then for our program, last year they did... 24 hour call, I think maybe every three days or four days, but this year they switched to like a night float. So obviously I personally don't know how it was before. I like the night float. We do it in two week increments. I feel like having it in two weeks allows you to get on that schedule for two weeks, which I like. And so several rotations out of the year will have these two week night increments and those run from also 6 to 6, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And you basically do the same stuff as you do, except obviously not clinic. We don't do that in the middle of the night, but like admitting people um, from the ED or hospital consults and kind of doing the same stuff. Here on night float, is there an attending overnight? So that is a interesting question. So Portsmouth very recently, as of like last month, is starting to become a trauma center. Prior to that, we did not have our attendings in-house. We had our chief resident for the night that was in-house with us. So our night float would consist of two interns and then whoever our chief resident was, which ranges from a PGY2 to a PGY4 usually overnight. And then we also have PGY5s that do their call shifts on the weekends. The attending was not in-house for that. However, with them implementing the trauma at our hospital, 
there's now a rule where the attendings have to have a 15 minute response time to the trauma bay from when the trauma arrives. So with that, our attendings are now in-house. It hasn't really changed too much of what we do kind of like on a regular basis at night. We still do the admitting as our team with the two interns and with the resident, but they are there for if something more emergent were to happen. Level trauma is Portsmouth right now? I think it's level three. Okay. Have you found that there's been, because I know that Portsmouth is not located super closely with like the major naval bases in the area. Like, I feel like they're probably about 20, 30 minutes away. Have you had a significant number of trauma patients come in? I would not say a significant amount. I would say that we've had a couple. I think I, I think it only started maybe like a couple weeks ago, maybe not even a full month. So I think that the surrounding community is still getting adjusted to being able to transport trauma patients to Portsmouth. We've had a couple trauma alerts that have gone off to my knowledge, but it's only been a couple. I feel like that will increase um, as time goes on. And I mean, one, people know that Portsmouth is a trauma center and that they can transport there, but also just as the community gets more familiar with it, I feel like there will probably be more. So with Portsmouth now being probably level three trauma center, do they see civilians if they're the closest hospital or will they only see military members? That is also an interesting question. I think for right now it's primarily military, but I also think that that might be something that's kind of in the works just because if a civilian were to need to be transported to a hospital and Portsmouth was the closest hospital, I feel like that would take precedence over it. But we also have Sentara, which is in Norfolk, which is like the major trauma center around us. And that's on just the other side of the water from Portsmouth. So I feel like at least as of right now, that's probably where most of the traumas are still going. But it will be interesting to kind of see how the trauma at Portsmouth develops. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. I mean, I'm a huge advocate for any type of growth in our military hospitals. So yeah, that's really great that they're moving in that direction. Is there anything about intern year that you wish you knew beforehand? Yeah, maybe a couple things. There was something that someone told me, I think in June, so during our orientation month, that I wish I had known a little earlier. They had just said, anything that you have on your to-do list that has either been there for weeks or for months, get it done now. And they said, when July 1st comes, you will have no time to do anything other than go to the hospital and then come home and be so tired that all you want to do is sleep. And so all the things that you've had on your to-do list that you have been putting off, you will still not be able to get done. And so I think I learned that in the middle of June. And so I took that to heart and did a lot of things on my to-do list, but there still were a handful of things that I did not do before July 1st. And what they said was definitely true. And several months into intern year, I still had not done them. And so I thought that that was a really good piece of advice. And then also kind of just like how I felt before medical school, before I started medical school, I think that it's just important at the end of medical school to relax and enjoy spending time with friends and family and especially traveling at least in the Navy for our intern year, we get 14 days of leave. 
which kind of sounds like a lot, kind of doesn't, but when it boils down to it, if you space it out throughout the year, it goes by pretty fast. I've kind of used my days of leave in like two or three day increments to do kind of weekend trips. Some of my other friends have kind of saved theirs up so that they can take two week-long trips. But I would just say that during intern year, it's hard to get to see family and friends in person, especially if they're not close, just because one, it's hard to get the time off. But even if you do get the time off, a lot of that time is spent doing life things like grocery shopping or cleaning your house, things like that. So definitely those two things I would, I would try to do before intern year starts. And just to clarify for the HPSB students who aren't super familiar with how leave works in the military, that includes days that you weren't going to originally work if you're leaving. Typically, it's like a 250 mile radius of your command, correct? I'm not sure how it is for the other branches, but at least for Navy and at least in the surgery program at Portsmouth, I can't speak to other programs because I'm not sure if they do it differently. But for us, you know, we work also on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday. So really seven days out of the week is the potential for us to be working. So even if it's a Saturday or Sunday, it kind of still counts the same as like a weekday in terms of us having to request that time off because we, in theory, could be put in the call pool for those days as well. Jumping back to fourth year of medical school, where did you do audition rotations and what made you choose Portsmouth for your internship? Sure. So um, I did my audition rotations at the three Navy hospitals, uh, Portsmouth, Walter Reed, and San Diego. I am a strong proponent of people doing everything they can to go and audition at all three programs. Um, If their program is offered at all three hospitals or do it at however many hospitals their specialty is offered at. I got a lot of different opinions and feelings about the different programs from different people that I talked to, either in my year as I was going through it or from the year before me. And even though, you know, you could be really good friends with someone, they could have a totally different perspective about the same program than you would have. And so I think it's really important to see it for yourself and get a feeling for yourself how you would like that program. But I went to all three. I actually tried to strategically arrange them in a way that I thought was best. So I had kind of heard from other people, if there's three, maybe do the one that you think you want to go to second, because the first one, you might not be as good, like you're not as familiar with the military EMR, it's your first audition rotation. So you might be a little rusty, Whereas your third one, you could just be tired and burnt out. And it's also late in the season. Your rank list locks at October 15th. So I kind of, at the time, I was thinking I wanted to go to Walter Reed, maybe. So I planned that second. And I planned San Diego first because I'm from Maryland originally and San Diego was just far for me. So I figured that I maybe wouldn't want to go there, just location-based. And then I did Portsmouth third because I thought there was a chance that I could like it because it's kind of closer to home and could still change my rank list in time if I wanted to. And then I did my audition rotations and I really loved my time at San Diego At Walter Reed, I think I just got a little unfortunate with the timing. 
interview season is tough because there's a lot of people interviewing at the same time as you. Like everyone is there during the same months. And so there's just a lot of people that are there trying to do the same thing as you. And so I think that at Walter Reed, I just got unfortunate in the sense that I got put on one of the slower teams at the time. It was an elective team and it was still kind of near COVID. So there just weren't a lot of elective procedures happening. And then we had a lot of students on my team. Whereas I had a friend that rotated at Walter Reed at the same time as me, but was on a different team and had a phenomenal experience. So that's also kind of why it just depends. And I think people should go and see it for themselves. And then I went to Portsmouth and also really liked it. And so it was actually kind of, you know, flipped from what I went into it thinking that I would maybe want. So I was between Portsmouth and San Diego and ended up ranking Portsmouth first, mainly for two reasons. One, I just loved the faculty at Portsmouth. I mean, the faculty are great at all of them, but at Portsmouth, I just felt like they truly took the time to care and to teach. And that was really important to me. And then also um, just being from Maryland, I wanted to be a little closer to home. Portsmouth was only a couple hours drive away from home, whereas San Diego would have been a couple hours of a plane. So I think that it comes down to the program, but also, I mean, like with anything, I think location and also just personal factors. Like if you have a significant other that is from a certain area or wants to be in a certain area, I feel like that also plays into it. What do you think made you competitive to be chosen for surgery at Portsmouth? Because it was your number one choice, location and specialty, correct? Yes, it was. I think that I had a broad variety of experiences in medical school, which I think helped. And then I also think definitely being in person and doing the audition rotation helped as well. I don't think that I am the strongest candidate on paper in terms of objective measures like class rank, GPA, or board scores. And that's why, to me, doing an audition rotation was really important because I feel like it's, it's a way to show the program who you are off of paper. And so I was the year where our application got pushed back because of COVID and a lot of people couldn't even do audition rotations. So I think that that really hurt a lot of people like me that are not as strong on paper, but are a better candidate in person. Fortunately for us, the military, for the most part, still let us go to audition rotations um, and be there in person. And so I feel like the wide variety of experiences that I had in medical school, like, you know, leadership, military involvement, volunteering research, plus being on the audition rotation really helped. I think for programs to be able to see how you interact with the other residents and the other attendings and kind of just your work ethic is really important. They say a lot of the times they can teach you knowledge, but they can't teach you to be a hard worker or be a good person. That's kind of the qualities that they're looking for when you come to a program in person. I have gone through audition rotations and have matched And for our listeners, I listened to Susan's advice because she told me all of this prior to my auditions. And I completely agree with everything that she just said. And I would recommend to all of you, if you 
aren't necessarily the strongest applicant on paper in terms of board scores, class rank, but you have extracurriculars that boost your application, that going in person and demonstrating that you can work really hard is super, super beneficial. So I just wanted to put in my two cents in terms of that. Please listen to what she's saying right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> it worked for me. I, I matched into my number one choice, specialty and location, and PEDS is competitive in the Navy. And I was trying to work myself up to accepting going into a transitional year because chances were that was going to happen just because more people apply than spots. Yes, definitely do audition rotations at each location if you are able to. It's very expensive, especially if you can't be active duty. Try to save up for it in advance. You will still end up paying off your credit cards months later, but it was 100% worth it. Yeah, definitely. And With the Navy, at least, I know the Air Force at least does it a little differently, but with the Navy, you get one ADT per fiscal year, which if you do the math, if you want to go into a specialty that is at all three hospitals, that means that one of them by default will not be covered by an ADT. What some people in my class did, or just people that I know, was that they would either try to plan where they were going together so that they could share a hotel or a rental car, or people would reach out to people that they had met either through ODS or just other connections that they had, like that military Facebook group, just asking if other residents or people near that hospital had like a room for rent for cheap or something too. So there's definitely ways to make it cheaper. And like Kenzie was saying, I really do think it's beneficial to see it for yourself in person, even though it is more effort and more money. I also think it's great to see it in person because you can go into your auditions thinking that you know where you want to go and then visit each location and completely change your mind because that is what I did. So highly recommend it. And in terms of that Navy HPSP Facebook page, I posted on there asking if anybody had a room and shout out to Phil in San Diego. He did. (laughs) Um, He hooked me up. So Susan, what advice do you have for fourth years on how to excel during a surgery sub-I? During a surgery sub-I specifically, I would say, this is kind of vague advice, but I would say really just try to learn and do as much as you can during your first three years of medical school to set you up for success during your audition rotation. So, I mean, like, obviously it goes without saying, like, study for your exams and do well on boards. But what is more important than that, I think, is learning the material to actually know it and understand it and not just memorize it. Because when you get down the road, you'll have to actually be able to apply it and not just like regurgitate it on a test. That more so applies to the first two years. And then during third year, I think the biggest thing you can do is just be proactive. It's always kind of uncomfortable, like putting yourself out there when you don't know what you're doing, but that's the best way to learn. So like for procedural things, like asking if you can do it, making sure that you step up to present during your rotations, including the assessment and plan, and really just being proactive with trying to do as much as you can. And then obviously during your third year, doing your surgery rotation and just being active and being attentive during it. And then also, if you get electives during your third year, it could be helpful to do an additional surgery rotation, maybe towards the end of the year, if you can, kind of as like a, like a pre-audition rotation 
to kind of just set you up to kind of have that under your belt going into audition rotations. Awesome. Thank you so much. And then for 30 years who are about to start their auditions, what is the best way for them to prepare? I think that there's always things that you can read that can help prepare you for like how to best succeed on rounds and how to prepare your notes and how to give presentations or how to set it up if you have to do that. Um, I know that during my audition rotations, at least for surgery, Walter Reed had us give a presentation. Um, so we kind of got to pick the topic and then present it during that. So kind of preparing in that way. And then also, I think just having the right mindset going into it. People say that it's like a month-long interview, which it basically is, which is exhausting, but also just important for you to figure out if you like that program, but also to showcase yourself to the best of your ability for that program. So I feel like having the right perspective um, is important just going into it. Yes, they will be long hours, especially on surgery. Yes, it will be exhausting and you will be tired, but it's also important. A month might feel like a long time, but at the end of the day, it's really only four weeks for people to see if you would be a good fit at that program. So I think just getting prepared ahead of time in terms of reading what you can and also talking to people that have either done that rotation either earlier than you, like in that application cycle or people from the year before that. I remember I was so nervous for my first audition rotation to San Diego. I had called, he was a general surgery intern at the time when I was a fourth year, I called him with like a laundry list of questions. And he talked to me for a whole hour, shout out to Rob Luke, who was the previous secretary for national Sam ops. That's how I knew him. Talking to people who have done it before is super helpful. They can kind of just tell you like how things work there, which I feel like is like a comforting thing. If you know more about how things work And then, you know, like what uniforms you need to bring and kind of just what the schedule is. And honestly, SAMOPS was a great way for me to meet people like that. At my school, we had people the year above me that were doing surgery, but they were army. And when you get to that point, kind of third and fourth year, you realize that although surgery has like overlaps between the branches, when you get to that point in the application cycle, you really need someone who is your branch doing your specialty to provide the most advice. And so I think trying to find someone like that to just get information from them ahead of time is super helpful. I totally agree. I think SAMOPS and AMOPS in general, great for networking. I met somebody at a conference two years ago, probably talked to her for all of 60 seconds and she's a friend of a friend. They went to ODS together and she and I talked on the phone probably a month ago for like an hour because I have questions about potentially being a undersea medical officer. Definitely reach out to people. No question is stupid. Use your resources. Do you know how many applicants are selected for surgery for PGY2 from PGY1? In the Navy, the short answer, no. The Navy doesn't release that information to my knowledge, at least. There's kind of a transition this year in how Navy GME works. This was the first year that the Navy started offering continuous contracts, which is basically like what you think of for a normal residency, like in the civilian world, or also known as a categorical position. There's different 
numbers for the spots at the different hospitals per program. It changes every year, but the numbers from year to year, at least in the past, have been relatively somewhat the same, um, at least for surgery. And so at Portsmouth for interns, there's 12 interns. I think Walter Reed has seven and San Diego has 11, I think. And from there, in terms of PGY2 spots, at Portsmouth, there's three. I think Walter Reed maybe has three or four for Navy. And then San Diego, I think, has five. And to my knowledge, with the continuous contracts this year, I think that Portsmouth got one continuous contract. I think San Diego got either two or three. And I think Walter Reed got either one or two. If you do the math, those odds are not great. And so the Navy is kind of trying to start doing this continuous contract thing as a way to to get people through residency without a break in their training. There's certain specialties, at least in the Navy, that the Navy needs more of. And surgery is one of those. Surgery is a longer program than some, either five or six years. Um, So by having people go straight through as opposed to having a break of GMO in the middle, it's a way to produce surgeons faster than having that break. I mean, this is the first year that they've done this. I anticipate that it would change again next year. And they don't, to my knowledge, release the numbers of that. But at least in the Navy for surgery, there is the percentage of people that go straight through at least this past year and in past years has been small. But with all the changes they're making, it's kind of unclear exactly how that will be in the future. Susan, where will you be finishing your residency training? Uh, Finishing. So that is TBD. I was kind of confused about this when I was in medical school. So there's like categorical positions and preliminary positions. And then I had heard people use terms like civilian deferred and civilian sponsored. A categorical position is when you get a spot for all the years of the residency. Prelim is when you get a spot for one year. So historically, basically all positions in the Navy were preliminary. And this was the first year that the Navy started offering um, categorical positions right off the bat, um, also known as the continuous contracts. So all of us in my class and before were prelim positions. The whole civilian sponsored and civilian deferred is also known as civilian sponsored FTOS, full-time out service, versus civilian deferred is kind of known as NADS, which I'm not exactly sure what that stands for, but one of those Ds is deferred, I think. I was fortunate enough to get a NADS position, which means that the Navy is letting me train in the civilian world. So the Navy has to give you permission to train civilian if that's what you want to do. They only allow it for certain specialties. Surgery is one of them. And so in the match, we all had to reapply for the match that happened in December for the military. And so I got NADS, which means that I applied in the civilian match again. So now I'll just find out in March, but hopefully I will be training at some civilian program that I interviewed at. And then I would finish my training 
there. And then I would, after I graduate, come back to the Navy and be active duty. Can the Navy pull you back at any time during your civilian residency to complete your training at a military institution? If you get NADS after your first year or at any point, I guess you're going to finish there. I don't believe that they would do that. I think that once you commit to a civilian program, you're kind of there until you finish. My understanding is that when you get NADS, you go back into the IRR. So like what we were for HPSP, you basically get orders to like go to that program for a specific amount of time. Honestly, I feel like anything in the Navy is possible, but I feel like it would be unlikely that they would pull you from your civilian program. NAD stands for Navy Active Duty Delay for Specialist Program. I had to look it up because I also don't know what it stands for. Oh, nice. I was close. Delayed. Yeah. Deferred. (laughs) (laughs) Same thing. (laughs) Okay, great. And then just a couple final questions about RAMOPS since you are on the RAMOPS board. How has your experience been in RAMOPS and would you recommend that students who are in SAMOPS further continue um, their involvement in the organization? Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, I mean, RAMOPS is great. It's a different vibe than SAMOPS. Obviously, as residents, we are way busier than we were as medical students. I always feel like at some point in my life, I'm like, oh, I'm so busy. And then I get to the next point in my life and I'm like, wow, now I'm really busy. Like I had so much time before. And that's kind of how I feel about being a resident versus being a medical student. We still do like our virtual meetings, just like we did for national SAMOPs. National SAMOPs, I feel like had more regimented meetings, which I now realize is also because your schedule is kind of more predictable when you're a medical student and you have more time to do things. But kind of the same concept, we meet as residents a lot of what we help with is the conference, planning the research for that. This year, we've also tried to take on a bigger role with the mentorship match. I really like my involvement in AMOPS. I was in SAMOPS all four years of medical school. I was involved with our school chapter the first two years and then national the last two years. And I feel like it provides a lot of opportunities for networking and leadership If you have ideas that you want to enact for military medical students or residents, it's a platform and an outlet to help you do that. And I also have been asked in my civilian interviews a surprising amount about AMOPS and kind of the different roles that I've had and just my involvement in it. I think that overall, it's interesting to programs and they care about things that you're passionate about. And from my CV, they could tell that AMOPS was something that I've been heavily involved in and also longevity. I've been involved with it for a long time. Starting residency, I knew I would be busy, but I wanted to just continue the involvement that I have had with the AMOPS organization. And I feel like it's good to stay involved with things that you previously had been, even if you can't do it in the same capacity. I obviously am not as involved now as I was my second year of medical school when I was president for our our SAMOPS chapter at our school. But I think that being involved with it, even if more peripherally, is still important. Awesome. Thank you so much. And that wraps up our episode with Susan today. Thank you for your time and sharing your experiences with us future military physicians. 
for those of you listening. If you have any recommendations for the podcast for anything you'd like to hear in particular, feel free to email samopseducationchair at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in.